Welcome to another episode of Two Peas on a Podcast. Counting down movies, music, TV, and pop culture. One top five at a time. And now, here are the two peas. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into another episode of Two Peas on a Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Gerald here with you, of course. And I got a special guest host, the other pea on the pod, to come in and do a fun top five movie-related discussion with me this evening. And he has a name. He's part of a podcast, but I like to refer to him as 80s Champ. So am I even going to say your name, or do you just want me to call you 80s Champ all night long tonight? You know why? Why don't we do the name? I, I, okay, I'm more right. like I, I'm. I contain multitudes. I, I'm more than that. You cannot. You cannot whittle me down to just one thing. I, I'm. I'm such a unique flower of an individual that I. Uh, I feel like you're objectifying me. To be honest, Gerald. That's fair. That's fair. And I apologize for doing that up front. Uh, Jay Ledbetter in session film, and uh, you know, beat me in the 1980s tournament over on Movie Geek, which is why I was making Hell that yeah. joke. But how are you, man? Welcome back to the peas, brother. It is great to be here. It has been far, far too long, and that is my fault, not your fault. Gerald has reached out to me, and I have responded and said, yes, let's definitely do it, and then just completely ghosted, because I'm a, you know, don't don't call me 80s champ, call me a piece of shit, because that, no, that was a down, no. dirty dog thing of me to do, and I just totally forgot, but I love doing this show, and I'm, I'm very happy to be here, man. Well, thanks so much for coming back, man. And what, before we dive into our little setup here, why don't you tell everyone what the top five list is this evening? What are we counting down tonight? So you gave me a list of, of topics, and I looked at them, and the one that really stuck out to me is the top five movies about the city of Los Angeles. And the reason that stuck out to me is because I have lived in the city of Atlanta my entire life. So I feel like I have, I am like the definitive Los Angeles person for you to have on this episode. No, but uh, the, the real reason we'll get into it as we get into this list, I, there sure. is actually a reason that it stuck out to me, but okay, there's also just so many movies, obviously, that take place in LA or Hollywood or whatever. Uh, and, and it was just so such a fruitful list to run through here. And then even as I was looking through, I have this kind of rough draft list of my 25 favorite movies ever. And it was like mm -hmm. eight of them take place in LA and are kind of about LA. So okay. it was a, it was kind of a, a perfect match. So yeah, well, best LA movies. Well, yeah. Best movies set in LA or thereabouts. You know, you know, it's funny. I was molding my list about a week ago and I, I was pretty comfortable with it. And then uh, another episode that I just did recently, which I don't want to spoil. If I tell you, you might know what movie I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And I had kind of forgotten about it. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> so then that movie kind of came back into my mind and it ended up making my honorable mentions. And then I was over in our patron chat this evening and I was telling them what we were recording and they started throwing all these titles at me, a couple of which are some of my favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. 
that for whatever reason, I just completely forgot were set in LA. So um, my list is in disarray, Jay. As we sit here right now, I have about 13 to 14 movies that I'm, I know what the top five are, but the honorable mentions is going to be just a hodgepodge and I'm going to pick. There are so many. I mean, we could do yeah, 25 honorable mentions. Well, it's Tinseltown, right? Mm-hmm. So it's obviously where movies live, at least in this country. So, you know, I did pitch you, uh, you know, a few different ones. And I, you know, I had a list of a few different ones. And this one jumped out to you. Now, do you have a connection to California at all or just your love of movies kind of is, is that really the connection? I'm just curious. It it really was specifically, I, I will not say the name of the directors. Right who stuck out to me because that will kind of give away some of my list. But there are two, I think two of my four favorite directors are very LA centric filmmakers. Okay. And so to me, I was like, well, this is an opportunity to talk about some of my favorite movies ever. Like my 15th favorite movie of all time or something is not in my top five to give you an idea of kind of how much I love the movies that we are going to be talking about today. So, wow. Okay. uh, These are movies I adore. What are you thinking on uh, crossover, man? You think because you and I, I don't, I don't know. We we both do the indie film circuit thing, so I don't, I don't yeah. know, man. What do you think? I'm thinking, I'm thinking we're gonna have two crossovers. Ooh, that's wow. my guess. I was gonna say one, but uh, all right, okay. Well, that makes me happy. You know, anytime I can uh, get your approval, Jay, I'm in good shape. So yeah, find some common ground. That's actually the only reason I do this podcast is for you to you know tweet at me every once in a while, like, hey, nice pick, buddy. And unfortunately, I've <laughs> only done happy that to like help. once, so. Hey, come on now, Gerald. (laughs) Oh, man. Jay Ledbetter is here from uh, In Session Film and just from being a buddy of mine online. So thanks so much for coming back, man. We're going to do our top five movies set in L.A. I'm very excited to do that. Jay, I'm going to take a quick break and run a little promo here. And then when we come back, we are going to get into our top five Los Angeles-based films. Okay, hang tight. Hello, listeners. Did you know that there is a lot more content where this episode came from? As you may know, we are an independent podcast and we rely on donations in order to keep going. Over on our Patreon site, you will find several ways to stretch your dollar. I am currently producing six exclusive series that you can only get there. They include popular ones such as My First Time and 100 G-Tunes. You'll also get regular main top five episodes just like this one, super early, often weeks in advance. For as little as $1, you can help the show continue. Just visit us over at patreon.com slash two peas on a pod, or you can check the show notes for this very episode. Now let's get back to the countdown. Welcome back, everyone. As I said, pre-break, Jay is here, and we are going to discuss our favorite film set in L.A. Jay, I'm very excited, man. So why don't you set up your number five for us and tell us what you put there at the five spot. Okay, so my number five film is a film from the year 1997, and this is a film I probably didn't see until I was in college, but this one just struck me right away. It's kind of uh, the early stages of a, of a couple of really great actors' careers and and the film is from a director who kind of had a very hit or miss, mostly miss, actually, filmography mm. outside of this film. But my number five is L.A. Confidential, a Ooh. movie I love. It's like a really kind of pulpy, good time. Um, yeah, it has a little bit of a Kevin Spacey issue going on, although 
It does. He's uh he's really good in the movie. I'm sorry, he's really good in the movie. I don't know what no, to he say. Is, yeah. He's no he's really he good, is. but uh it, it does it is a little bit of a dark cloud hanging over the movie, but obviously this is early Russell Crowe um giving a great performance as Bud White, this kind of young hotshot detective who is in over his head just a little bit, but he also really has this confidence to him as he goes through this kind of a uh, fairly complex plot of of corruption and murder and sex and all the kind of uh, L.A. things that you kind of think about in the golden age of Hollywood, because this is a movie that, that takes right. place in that golden age. There's a subplot with Danny DeVito about, you know, um, uh, paparazzi and, and the, the uh, obsession with celebrity and, and all sorts of stuff like that. So it, it mm-hmm. covers all of the things that you associate with L.A. with a great plot, some really solid action. I think it's a pretty funny movie. You look at uh, especially the DeVito stuff that I talked about. You have Kim Basinger in there as well as kind of the the sex pot um, temptress in the film who's fantastic. So uh, a movie I really loved is such a watchable movie. It's pretty long, but man, it flies by. And that, that's a movie that I would recommend to pretty much like anybody. That's such a watchable movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. Ironically, uh, this was initially in my top 10 and it got pushed out with a couple late entries that I was telling you about earlier. I love this film. Curtis Hansen, right? The filmmaker. Curtis Hansen, yeah. And I can remember going with a bunch of friends to see Eight Mile, uh, the Eminem helmed kind of yeah. pseudo biopic, which was also directed by Curtis Hansen. And everybody that was kind of like hip hop fans in my circle were all just kind of like, I don't know, you know. And I'm like, guys, I've seen L.A. Confidential. This guy's this guy can make a movie. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he's he's a great filmmaker. He has a really keen eye uh, for storytelling. I feel like, and you know, he's got a pretty short resume, really, uh, at least that's coming to mind for me. But I think L.A. Confidential would probably be his crowning work I would say I would say without a doubt yeah I mean he, yeah, he has some yeah. weird stuff in there like his last movie was Chasing Mavericks that like surfing movie with Gerard Butler okay. and then he had like Lucky You which was a what, I can't even remember what that one was yeah he did he did like some rom-coms he's got a really weird filmography yeah, it he is does weird, have yeah. <laughs> he has um, uh, LA Confidential just sitting there as kind of a masterwork so um, yeah. yeah the movie rules love it All right. Well, that's your number five, L.A. Confidential. So I'm glad you mentioned it because, like I said, it just fell out of my top ten just really a couple hours ago, honestly. But I do love that movie very, very much. And I haven't seen it in way too long. I need to revisit that film. But great pick, man. So my number five is pretty recent. It's it's, uh, much newer than L.A. Confidential. It came out about five or six years ago. It's from filmmaker Spike Jones, and it's a film called Her. Yeah. Oh, I love that movie. Um, starring Joaquin Phoenix and Scarlett Johansson voices kind of like the Siri-esque technology that, you know, kind of like Alexa or whatever that would that we know of today that would run our home and do different things for us and make appointments and tell us the weather. And she's just this AI, right? But mm-hmm. it takes on it takes on such a such a deep meaning kind of beyond that. It uses that kind of technology uh, storyline as kind of a facade for what's really going on in this man's life and the loneliness that he's feeling, but also kind of the dependency that that we have as a society on technology and on you know, consumerism and things like that. So it's a very deep film that seems very simplistic at the surface, but I also feel like perhaps that's why it works, at least to a general audience, you know, they kind of can be brought into it and it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it, it, you don't have to like really, really be invested. You can enjoy the movie just by watching it. So I love her. I, I actually came to this movie late, Jay. I saw this movie for the first time just a couple years ago and mm. I was like, holy shit, like I watched it on Netflix or something. And I was like, oh my God, this is great because my daughter was recommending it to me. And, uh, I finally took her up on it and watched it and I fell in love with it, man. I've watched it a couple times since then. But yeah, are you a fan of this one? 
Oh yeah, this was in my top twenty of the last decade. So it is. It, that's a that's one that's for me just sitting right outside of my top ten. So uh, a fantastic pick, a movie I love. Spike Jones, a director I love. It's hard to call him one of your favorite directors because he's only made four fictional movies. But right, right. I mean, what a good director that dude has not missed in my opinion. With uh, what else did he do? Where the Wild Things Are, Adaptation, and Being John Malkovich, I think, are the only movies that he's done. And those are all, in my opinion, home runs. And that movie, never thought I would be attracted to uh, an AI <laughs> bot, but Scarlett Johansson's voice just uh, really does it for me. I don't know what yeah. to tell you, Gerald. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm it's with a you, problem. I was, yeah, no, I'm with you. I was like, Siri, you know, let's do, yeah, here we go. Uh, so I think it helped having ScarJo in that voice role. Oh, she's but yeah. so good. She's so good in, in that movie, too. I mean, that is a real performance and she gives a great one and obviously Joaquin is always going to be given it his all given an A game he's one of the best in the biz Uh, and that's just a really emotional film Amy Adams also really good in that movie and it's a a visually striking film um, a great score it's wonderful yeah, there's a lot of interesting supporting characters in that film, too, that would go on to be huge. You know, Amy yeah, Ray Mara's in that one. Yeah, Chris Pratt. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. So good pick, man. And by the way, Spike Jones just did this past year the Beastie Boys documentary, too, which... Yeah, which I liked. I liked yeah, that, I did yeah. Too. Thought it was really good. It was a really interesting take on the classic documentary, I thought, and I thought it was really well done. But he's obviously a Beastie Boys fanboy, so not too surprising. He directed the Sabotage video back in the day. And, yep, yep. You know, but it's cool. I mean, he came from music videos, and here he is making these, you know, you mentioned a few other ones, you know, being John Malkovich and some of the others that are just, you know, really think pieces. So they're just really just great cinema. You know, he just does great cinema. So really thoughtful, her, really stylish. Yeah, but yeah, mostly absolutely. pretty understated. So yeah, I agree. He's I agree. a cool guy. I just love that he hangs out with like the jackass crew too. He just seems like mm-hmm. one of the cooler guys in Hollywood. I, yeah. I want to hang out with Spike Jones. Hell yeah, please. If you're listening to this, Spike Jones, hit us up, man. We got you. He's a big fan. He, he he's he's a P <laughs> for sure. For sure. Spike Jones is a oh, P. Oh, great. That's I I'm down with it, man. LA Confidential was your five J. What is your number four LA movie, buddy? My number four is a Robert Zemeckis film called Who Framed Roger Rabbit? One of my favorite films of all time. Obviously, part of this movie takes place in Toontown, sure. Mm -hmm. But the kind of 50s noir aesthetic, similar to L.A. Confidential, I I, I feel like there are uh, a few of the kind of L.A. noir-influenced films on here, although not direct L.A. Norris, because most of mine are, are, are newer films, but Who Friend Roger Rabbit came out in, I believe, 1988, and it was a technological marvel, and really surprisingly digs fairly deep into a corrupt uh, uh, ploy in 1950s, 60s L.A., which was this whole debate over public transportation and trying to block public transportation. If you go back and watch who Friend Roger Rabbit, there's actually a lot going on as far as crooked politics goes. Yeah. But obviously the stuff you remember is Bob Hoskins being handcuffed to a cartoon rabbit, and you can't figure out exactly how they did it in 1988. Right. An incredibly entertaining film. Uh, so memorable in every way. Just truly one of the most entertaining films I have ever seen. It just absolutely flies by in the same way that LA Confidential does. And it's a, it's a marvel in so many ways. Hoskins deserved... Uh, truly deserved an Academy Award for the performance he gave opposite a cardboard cutout of a rabbit in that movie. It's incredible. Right. He's so committed. I love it. It's Robert Zemeckis' best movie, in my opinion, and it's the okay. number four L.A. movie. Okay. Yeah, this is one for some reason that wasn't on my radar. I don't know why, but you know what's so ironic about this is that I've been doing this show for almost five years, and Roger Rabbit's never come up, and we talk about movies 
you know, at least wow. 80% of the time on the show. But this is the second week in a row now that my guest has mentioned Roger Rabbit as we're oh, sitting here. Nice. As we're sitting here, last week's episode was our favorite movies with um, a character's name in the title. And oh. that was the Roger Rabbit was Drew's number one from Real Fills. So second week oh, in a row has been mentioned. Love him. I need to I need to pull it out and revisit it. And, you know, and I can show it to my kid. My kid's seven. We could do the Roger Rabbit thing, man. I don't yeah, think it's like ever... it, it, it's a little adult ish, but it will slip by a young viewer, which is very fun. Um, sure. So it's great it, until he sees uh, Jessica Rabbit, you know, Je- Jessica Rabbit, fairly explicit depiction on, uh, of a woman. Yeah, but yeah. Just... Uh, uh, a very important person in many people's lives, I feel like. A very important tune. Uh, sure, yeah. In many a young child's life. Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we still, love her. She's still important in my life, buddy. She's not bad. She's just strong <laughs> that way. Oh, hell yeah. Um, Good stuff. All right, man. So that's your number four, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And, you know, I mentioned on that episode last week that I did as well with Drew. But the thing that comes to mind right away is just revolutionary. Just a game-changing film. Yeah. The way that it was mixing animation and live action. I know it had been done before that, but more so what I'm talking about is how many different studios are represented in that film. Yes, exactly. It'll never happen again, dude. It'll never happen again. So for that reason, just a game changer. You'll never see Mickey and Bugs on screen in a movie ever again in history. And for that, it's a monumental film. I agree. All right, so look, man, you know, I don't want to get into any kind of argument <laughs> with you tonight, Jay. It's not my it's not my intention to do that. However, back and I'm, we're on to my number four. So at my number four, I'm leading with that because back in 2000, okay, in the year 2000, uh, a young up and coming filmmaker by the name of Christopher Nolan, okay, right, okay, started started kind of messing with this time thing and kind of dealing with time and how it affects a person's life. And he did it in a film called Memento. And Memento is my number four. And this is an interesting film that was so unique and inventive because, you know, the general premise of the story is Guy Pierce plays this dude who mm-hmm. has short-term memory loss. So he can only remember the last 15 minutes. After 15 minutes, his memory resets and he forgets everything. So that's his, you know, disorder or whatever. And then as the viewer, we are watching the movie from the end all the way to the beginning. So we're you know, Nolan pieces it together until we eventually get to where everything started, point A. So it's shot, uh, you know, I don't even want to say Tarantino S because it's something different. It's not bouncing around. It's just literally like if you're playing the movie in, in reverse. Okay. And that's the way the movie's played out. And that's the way this character has to kind of piece together this mystery about who killed his wife and you know it's just a kind of a murder mystery and a whodunit that mm-hmm. plays out before our eyes and it does it very inventively I feel like now the reason I said it I want to get an argument with you is because as Christopher Nolan has gone on over the last 20 years I still respect and admire him as a filmmaker I just feel like he's kind of lost sight a little bit of the story and it's more become about kind of the theatrics of it all mm-hmm. Uh, with a movie like Tenet, and I loved Inception, but even a movie like Inception, where it's not so much about the character study and the story, because you look at a movie like Memento, and in my opinion, it's very similar uh, from a narrative standpoint to a lot of those big blockbusters I just mentioned, but it's really timid, it's really subdued, and it's really focused on the performance and the character, and I feel like he's just gotten a little bit away from that, that's my opinion, um, but I love Memento, it, it's remained one of my favorite films, and it's set in LA, so I had to I had to throw it on my 
list. That's my number four. What do you want to say about Memento? I assume you're a fan of this one. I love this one. Yeah, you're going to get no arguments from me on this one. I, uh, you know, I, I, I have the same kind of problems with Nolan that you do in his later career. I inexplicably adored Tenet. I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I I'm still I trying know. to like cope with. Um, <laughs> How that ended up happening, because after, you know, Inception, I'm kind of like, man, this is real. You're really giving me a lot of exposition here, Chris. And then like Interstellar, I'm like, man, this right, is right. You got to figure out human beings a little bit, Chris. Come on now. I mean, <laughs> I, I understand what you're going for, but you really whiffed here. But then with Dunkirk, I love Dunkirk and Tenet. I don't know how, but it ended up being my number one movie of last year. But yeah, uh, I heard that. I, yeah, it's crazy. And, and I was flabbergasted. You know, I, I didn't hate Eight tenant. I just, I don't know, man. I think COVID may have had something to do with it, and I, I my expectations were maybe a little. Did you see it in the theater? No, I didn't. I watched. Me it neither. Man. Yeah, yeah. I, w- I would have liked to have seen it in the theater. And when I, in fact, I want to say he. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, and I apologize if I'm wrong, but I feel like he released a trailer prior to like the COVID outbreak over here, right? Uh, that might have been true. Maybe like a teaser or something. I can't yeah. really remember. So I but, feel like I was yeah. really pumped to see that in the theater, and then all the COVID shit happened, and it got pushed back, and everything else. Yeah, but, but I love, I love moments. Memento, Memento rocks. That's definitely like a top four or five Nolan for me. I love that movie. It's uh, that's Guy Pierce, second Guy Pierce movie with L.A. Confidential I coming know, on here, yeah. Mister L.A. Even though he's from Australia, but uh, Memento <laughs> is great. I, I remember seeing that when I was a teenager, and just that's one of those movies when you're a teen, and a lot of Christopher Nolan movies are this way. But you see it, and you're like, dude, this changed the game. Like mm-hmm. that, that's, that's a game changing kind of movie when you see it the first time. Um, so fun and, um, great characters too. Uh, uh, Joey Pants, Joe Pantoliano is fantastic yeah, in that dude. movie. Carrie Ann Moss. Young yeah. Carrie Ann Moss. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So good. Yeah, it's, great. It's pick. a good, it's a good movie. And, uh, I revisit that one often is it, you know, I mean, I love the dark Knight, so I, I don't know, but I think maybe second to the dark Knight is probably my favorite Nolan film. Memento. Yeah, that's definitely a, one so of much his I best. Yeah. So that's my number four. And we are over to you. You had Roger Rabbit at four. What is your number three, buddy? My number three is from my single favorite filmmaker of all time. Uh, Robert Altman is my favorite director ever. Okay. And he is a very L.A. filmmaker. A large, large number of his movies uh, take place in Los Angeles. And I believe this is his best film. It's one of my five favorite movies ever made. And it is a film called Shortcuts. This is kind of a relatively deep cut on this list that I'm sure a lot of people will not have seen. But if I get one person listening to see this movie for the first time, then I have done a service for the community of your listeners because this movie is so good. Uh, Are you a Magnolia fan, Gerald? I am. I like P.T. Anderson. I was going to say, I don't think I've this sounds familiar to me, but I don't think I've seen it. So tell me a little bit about it. Well, Magnolia is basically a ripoff of Shortcuts, as Mm. many Paul Thomas Anderson films are ripoffs of Robert Altman films. And I love I (laughs) love Paul Thomas Anderson. I adore I I, I adore PTA, but but he is very often ripping off uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. And Shortcuts is a movie with a lot of very much like Magnolia. Uh, It's very it has a lot of kind of weaving plots in and out going on. But it's it's a little I would say it's a little lighter than um, Magnolia. You know, Magnolia is very dramatic, operatic, you know, that um, uh, at times kind of disturbing. Shortcuts is kind of about a bunch of normal people in extraordinary circumstances or or even not necessarily extraordinary circumstances and the way that random events can intersect and affect your life in ways that 
you could never have expected when that one event happened and, and in ways that you never even realize. Right. Um, but it is to me, one of the most empathetic movies I've ever seen. I'll, I mean, I, I watched this movie for the first time last year, actually, I watched 34 Robert Altman movies last year. Wow. And, uh, oh, you did a series over. We did it. Yeah. We did a yeah. movie series over at in session film and it was a 10 film series on the show, but I watched every film like in between each week. So now was he, um, a, was he your favorite filmmaker prior to you doing that? No, I had only seen probably five of his movies. I loved all of them, uh, mm-hmm. but I would not have called him one okay. of my favorites. And then I watched, you know, this was one that I had never seen before. Mm-hmm. And this had up being my favorite of the bunch although my my co-host ryan he straight up did not like the movie so um you know i have better taste than my co-host but uh, <laughs> that's what you're that's, saying that's basically. neither here nor there yeah you've got an absolutely stat cast here you got uh julianne moore's in it andy mcdowell tim robbins jack lemon bruce davidson uh jennifer jason lee is in it you have nice. robert downey jr is in it peter what? gallagher francis mcdormand lily tomlin tom waits is in this movie huey what? lewis is in this movie no alex trebek is in this movie lyle no. lovett is in this movie now it you're has, just saying names it has an in like an incredible <laughs> cast because actors loved working with robert altman okay and the the finale of the film to me is one that is kind of like the ultimate sort of explainer of the randomness of life and how um just these these events that seem so unimportant on their face uh really impact individual people's lives in really elaborate, intricate, extraordinary ways. And okay. that happens to like five different groups of people in, in the film. It's very funny. It's very entertaining. It's very long. It's like three hours and 10 minutes long. So oh, yikes. Uh, settle in, settle in when you watch this movie. Okay. But it is one of my favorite movies of all time. Shortcuts. Wow. So I didn't expect to hear one that I had never seen, but I definitely have not seen that. Um, yeah. Because I, I would have remembered that cast. <laughs> so it's loaded. What, loaded. But I feel like I've heard of it. Um, I need to check it out, man. I don't know if you know if it's streaming off the top of your head. Uh, I don't. I, I don't oh. think it is. No, I, I have the Criterion uh, disc. I'm a, I'm a physical media boy. Okay. Well, that's cool, man. Yeah, I, I need. I need to check that one out, though. That. Yeah, for sure. Stacked, brother. Yeah. All right, man. So that's your number three, a movie called Shortcuts by Robert Altman. And my number three is much different. <laughs> my number three is a film that's a little divisive, man. I, you know, I've heard people in my circle of friends that like loved it. And then the next person I talk to will be like, oh, that piece of shit. Uh, I'm one of the people that <laughs> loved it. Okay. It really hit me like a ton of bricks. It's another movie that I came to late. It came out in 2014, but I didn't see it until probably 2018. Uh, so I saw it much later. But it's Dan Gilroy's Nightcrawler. Oh, yeah. Yeah. People get mad at you for liking Nightcrawler. I don't even love Nightcrawler, but I, I, I respect Nightcrawler. Yeah. I've just, you know, I've had people be like, oh, that, you, that movie? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I guess because I don't really know why, but here's why I love it. So it's, it's like a dark, noir kind of kind of a new take on that in Hollywood and Jake Gyllenhaal in my opinion now I didn't see it the year it came out so I didn't know I you know I didn't have this kind of stewing in my mind at the time because I followed the Oscars pretty closely but that's a snub bro (laughs) I mean his performance in that movie and not getting nominated for that that year in 2014 that is a Oscar snub I mean I can't believe it I mean just really transformed in this kind of sociopath who uh you know is just out to get the story and you know he's just kind of 
kind of like journalist that just goes out and takes all these kind of taboo pictures when he's not supposed to. And he's a photojournalist, right? So he's trying to make a name for himself. He's trying to pay his bills. But he also kind of, in a way, gets off on it uh, in a weird kind of way. And as the audience, it puts you in a very awkward position, but you also kind of connect with his character. You know, Riz Ahmed blew me away this year in a movie called Sound of Metal, which I know you're a fan of as well. Yeah, I love that movie. And uh, he's in this movie, a great supporting role. as kind of like his sidekick in the movie. But yeah, it's just a really good tale it's, it's a dark tale that you feel kind of dirty watching but you have to watch it you have to get through to see what happens to this dude see at the end of the movie renee russo who's a veteran actress gives a gives a great performance in this movie as well uh but i love this movie man i love how la is shot in the film too you know it almost kind of is shot in a way a little bit like a horror movie and i'm a big horror fan mm-hmm. uh, it's not a horror movie but i love the way it's shot it kind of has that kind of dark overtones throughout it you know there's one scene in the movie that really stuck out to me when there's this like basically murder happening at this like upscale home and gyllenhaal arrives on the scene and actually breaks into the house and like films the dead bodies and stuff inside the house and the victims to like sell to the news, <laughs> you know, so stages it, it a little bit. You know? Right, right, right. So it's very dark and kind of demented in that way, but it's not a hard watch in my opinion. I mean, I, I really enjoy it despite the subject matter. So Nightcrawler would be my three. So you said you don't love it, but are you into this pick or you like this movie? Yeah, I would say in general, I like the movie. Is that one, which Gilroy brother directed that one? Dan. Dan. Yeah. Dan is, I believe, married to Rene Russo. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Okay. And she's fantastic in the movie. Hall. When is Hall bad? Hall's never bad. No it's matter true. how big he goes, no matter how small he goes, dude is just a captivating performer. And that's a pretty captivating movie. I find some of the staging of new stuff. And then when they show these like brutal murders on cable news, I'm like, what are you talking? These people are like butchered on just like regular channel two TV or whatever. Right, they would never right. show this stuff. But uh, as kind of a heightened reality, I, I understand it. And it's a very, a very heightened movie and, and one that definitely grips you for the entire runtime. So definitely a movie, my uh, definitely a movie I like, but uh, not one that's on my list, but I definitely respect the pick. Cool, man. All right, so Nightcrawler's my three, and we are up to our runner-ups, Jay. What do you got at number two, man? Oh, boy. These are some just fantastic films that we're tackling here. <laughs> my my number two is Mulholland Drive. The, hey, the David our, Lynch our film. first crossover. That is the fucking correct answer, buddy. Ding, ding, I, ding, ding, I, ding. I figured this would be a crossover. Is this your number two as well, or is this uh, maybe I'm not going to say it's coming, All right, okay, it's coming up. Okay, okay. It's coming up. David Lynch is another one of my, like, Mount Rushmore filmmakers. I love everything that he makes, uh, except Dune, but that wasn't really his fault. But <laughs> Mul- Mulholland Drive is one of my favorite films of all time. It yeah. is so, uh, obviously, you know, it's very twisted. It has one of the best jump scares of all time, but it's yeah. also a very sweet movie about people who love each other and are trying to find love and feel kind of lost in Los Angeles. And that's what a lot of David Lynch's films are about is, yeah. uh, people who are trying to find their place in the world in a city that kind of feels so alien in many ways because that's just how David Lynch kind of sees the world. He, he has a hard time connecting with normal people in any city, whether he he often shows like the suburbs as the most demented places in the world. But then when he goes to a big city like L.A., it also feels it's like this very vast, empty, hollow place that you try to find your way through and it's so entertaining and horrific at times and funny at times uh it's 
all David Lynch through and through. And it's my favorite David Lynch movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so it definitely had to be on this list. One of my favorite movies of all time, Mulholland Drive. You're killing it, Jay. You're killing it. I, I will add to that commentary here in a moment, but I will suffice to say I agree with the pick. So your number two is David Lynch's Mulholland Drive. Uh, great choice, man. I love that movie. That was well. one I knew we would have crossover on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, man. So my number two before we get there, though, is Pulp Fiction. Okay. Okay. Mr. Quentin Tarantino. This movie, um, God, man. I mean, now as a as a work, okay, and as a film, there's so many things that I could tell you, and everybody probably has told you, and you've heard it, and you've said it, and you've talked. To, in fact, the last time you came on my show, we talked about this movie because you came on. And we yeah, yeah, the Tarantino pod. Yeah, yeah, Tarantino characters. So fun. Yeah. But what I'm going to tell you instead, and I've mentioned on the show in passing before, is that this movie, Pulp Fiction in 94, and there's a couple other movies that could be grouped in with it, are really what made me a lover of film. And this movie, and seeing it on the big screen at my first year in college, I was a freshman in college, and I just started going to the movies on a regular basis, aside from just, you know, the Saturday night with the family or whatever before mm-hmm. that. And... I was a quote-unquote adult on my own going to the movies with with adult friends for the first time. And this is the kind of movie I see. And it literally is like somebody just punched me in the face and said, here we go, asshole. This, fucking, this, this is movies. This yeah. is cinema. Yeah. Um, and Tarantino is... To this day, a master at really telling a story from page to screen, particularly big screen. And seeing Pulp Fiction when I was an 18-year-old kid, I'm a cinephile now. I mean, I love movies Mm -hmm. to this day as much as I do because of Pulp Fiction. There were some other filmmakers back then, like David Fincher in 95 with Seven uh, was another one that comes to mind. Just seeing those movies on the big screen changed me, and they changed my outlook and my love of film. Now, the movie itself, I mean, come on. I mean, what about, what else do you need me to say about it? I mean, It's almost hard to talk about because it is just... <laughs> it, it's one of the most important movies ever made, truly. Yeah. As kind of the... It's not necessarily the dawn of the age of independent cinema, but it is a landmark in the age of independent cinema. Uh, right. and, and it gave us one of the most celebrated greatest filmmakers of all time. Right. I mean, you know, the performances are iconic. The soundtrack is to this day, you know, 25 years later, one of my favorite soundtracks to ever be produced. Uh, you know, the way Tarantino uses popular music and uses it in the right scene is just I mean, you can name any of his movies and I can pick a song that I just remember so vividly from his movie, even though the song may have been around for 50 years, but just the way he places it in the scene. Whenever you hear the song on the radio in the future, you're like, you like get transported right back to that scene again. You know, mm-hmm. whenever I hear Al Green, let's stay together, I immediately go to Marcellus meeting Butch in the bar. You know, I just think of I just think of it. So it's crazy that he's able to to, to do that really to change the landscape of pop culture really is what we're talking about. Uh, and I feel like it's safe to say that Tarantino definitely did that in the early nineties with movies like reservoir dogs and, and this one. So I just love this movie for what it did in my life. And, you know, I've often wondered when I get existential Jay, I've often wondered what my movie kind of watching life would be like had I not seen Pulp Fiction in the theater. And I honestly feel like it would be different. Uh, I feel like this movie really sure. kind of morphed me into the movie lover that I am. So for that reason and for the million reasons that I could talk to you about the film, uh, you know, it's set in California, it's set in L.A. Uh, Jules mentions Inglewood on many occasions. And Jay, you might be sad to know, but this is the movie that actually kicked L.A. Confidential out of my top 10 because somebody told me tonight, they're like, isn't Pulp Fiction in L.A.? And I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. 
Yeah, I just miraculously didn't. not in my top ten. A movie I, I love. Yeah, not even in my top ten. There's just so many good LA movies, and this is this is a this is another one of those movies that you see when you're a teenager, presumably, and. If you are, if you do become a cinephile, this is one where you're like, whoa, movies can be like this. Right. This is crazy. Right. Um, I mean, it's like it, nothing it I'd ever seen. Forever. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it really does. Yeah. 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 Nothing like nothing I'd ever seen. You know, ironically, uh, even with the impact that that movie had on me, it's probably not my number one favorite Tarantino. I think we may have talked about it when you came on last mm-hmm. year, but it was it, my favorite movie of his is Inglorious Bastards. We are aligned there. I don't. I, um, Pulp Fiction is probably my. Eighth. Three, yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to rank those, dude. I really do. But it's I love pro- Jackie Brown. Uh, I love Jackie. Brown. You mentioned that to me actually when you came on. We talked about yeah, that. Um, yeah, we did Tarantino scenes. I think. Yes, yeah, we did Tarantino scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I mean, for me, it's probably it's definitely Inglorious Bastards, and then it's probably flip a coin any day of the week for Kill Bill or Pulp Fiction mm-hmm. for me. But yeah, yeah, I, I won't fault anybody all of for movies. any of them. His top five is like elite. Yeah, you can't go wrong with any of those films. Great pick. So look where we're at, man. We're up to our number ones, and I know of one crossover, but what? I'm excited. What's your number one, man? I'm kind of I'm sitting here trying to figure it out, and I don't know that I know. What, what's your number one L.A. based movie, man? My number one L.A. movie. This is not going to be a crossover. I I I'm, I don't know what you think of this movie. I figured you would have loved it, but all not right. on your list so far. I've named two of my four favorite filmmakers of all time. Might as well name a third of my four favorite filmmakers of all time and say that my favorite L.A. movie, one of my favorite movies of all time, is Heat. Uh, yeah, there you go. Love it's in my, Heat. It's in my honorable mentions. Yeah. Michael Mann, one of my favorite filmmakers. This is a movie we actually reviewed on our podcast recently. Uh, I reviewed it with uh, the main show on In Session Film. I, I host the secondary show, Extra Film. Uh, but I reviewed it on the main show with JD and Brendan, our uh, our main show guys. Uh, I just said, you know, hey, guys, I pay for our Patreon. Uh, I want my Patreon review that everybody who has a, a <laughs> is a patron gets to gets to do. And, and I said, let's do heat. And I think going into that review, they were like, yeah, it's heat. It's like a dumb action movie. Yeah, it's like good or but whatever. Yeah. We they both came out of that saying that is a five star movie, yeah. an incredible masterpiece film. Because it is obviously one of the greatest action movies of all time, but Michael Mann is also one of the greatest examiners of character of all time. That movie features two characters with so much depth and nuance um, that it really separates itself from the pack of like, you know, all the action movies that you see. And also it was the first time that Pacino and De Niro were on screen together. It was like, you know, Ali Frazier back in the day. It was two just legends sitting in a diner together. And despite the fact that they're just sitting across from each other inside a diner, it feels like the most tense action sequence of all time. I mean, it really feels unlike anything else. And it has probably the greatest shootout in cinema history in the streets of Los Angeles. And it really captures kind of the spirit of LA. And I was kind of thinking about what is Los Angeles? And I thought it, I kind of came to the conclusion that Atlanta is kind of the LA of the East Coast in that it's a very spread out city with pretty boring architecture. No, like, extremely beautiful things to look at for the most part. Um, And he really captures that idea of LA and he does that in so many of his movies. And when I was going through this list, when I, when I went into it, I was like, okay, um, should I just name five Michael Mann movies? He's kind of like the greatest (laughs) LA filmmaker of all time. Um, 
and I obviously did not do that. And, and actually none of his other films quite made my honorable mentions either, but mm-hmm. Heat was number one with a bullet when I even saw this as a possibility to discuss on your show. And it's just uh, an immaculate, immaculate, perfect movie from Michael Mann. I love this movie too, man. I got a f- I got something to tell you, Jay. I, I don't know if you knew this or if you've heard this on the show because mm-hmm. it's pretty it's pretty recent news uh, in P's world. But I just saw this movie for, for the first time about six months ago. What, what, what? I know, I know. So this was a huge blind spot for me. This was like and, right in your prime time uh, movie. This is like right after Pulp. I know, I know. It, it was a huge blind spot for me and it was a movie that I'd always wanted to see and I'd always heard things similar to what you just said and you know very good things about it I knew you know different things about it and Pacino and De Niro and obviously I love Michael Mann and uh, Val Kilmer and you know a lot of things that I love that there's no reason why I should not have seen it but I just didn't and a buddy of mine has a podcast his name's Travis and he does this show that's actually called Wait You Haven't Seen (laughs) Uh uh and when he found out I hadn't seen Heat he's like well you're coming on the show like you're fucking watching this and he gave it to me for homework and I did it and I ordered the Blu-ray off of Amazon the same night uh, to own it because that's how much I loved it. Uh, Everything you said is perfect. It is a heist movie that is done so meticulously Mm -hmm. uh, from Michael Mann behind the camera and of course the actors involved as well that it's just uncanny. I mean there's some Al Pacino scenes in this and I haven't seen this in about six months so forgive me but there's some scenes in this that are so over the top where he's hamming it up that it's just gives you joy you know like you're just it does it has this great balance of like really heightened but then really grounded like de niro when he's in the diner and he like for the first time in his life has a connection with another human being and he doesn't he's like for the first time not a complete robot thinking about how to break into safes or or banks or whatever right it's really touching it's michael mann's the best yeah yeah he's good and you know i wonder you know the diner scene specifically but i wonder just like the crew members that were there when that was shot, you know, how they carry that with them, because that has got to be, uh, if you think about the powerhouse kind of legendary actors in Hollywood that are still around today, I mean, that's got to be one of the scenes that just, I mean, it's just It's amazing. one of the, the great scenes in Hollywood history. No it's doubt amazing. about it. Yeah. It's amazing. So Heat is your number one, man. Michael Mann's Heat. Uh, I love that movie, brother. And uh, I'm so glad that, that you mentioned it tonight because it's in my honorable mentions, but it didn't crack my top five. But I do love it, it. You know, for me, it could be recency bias. <laughs> so I just saw it six months ago. Yeah. Yeah. But, you, you were like, well, I just saw it. Is it really as good as I think it is? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For right. sure. But no, it, it, it's a great film, man. But I think so I know you already, what your number one is. Yeah, you already mentioned my number one, man. It's Mulholland Drive. Um, 10 out of 10 movie, dude. Uh, David Lynch's best film, in my opinion. I'm a huge fan of his filmography. Uh, you know, I even like Dune. But I I just love, you know, I mean, I don't know this, of course. This is just my perception. But what I love about David Lynch is like, I feel like he's just like, fuck it, guys. Like, <laughs> I'm just filming this. Like, this is the crazy shit that's going on in my head or that I put down on a screenplay or that I'm adapting or whatever. This is just my fucked up vision. And they're giving me money to do this. So here you go. You know, like, I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, he's obviously a success and he's obviously a big name. But I also feel like I really respect him because he I don't think he ever really cares if that is going to be the outcome with his projects. Now, with that being said, and that's why I admire him, you know, as a whole. But with that being said, Mulholland Drive, what I feel like is I feel like that is probably the the most accessible film of his to the general audience because it does have that pretty standard like 
from point A to point Z narrative throughout it, which a lot of his I mean, films. He did make a Disney don't... movie. To be well, fair. that's true. That's true. That's true. That is just a weird trivia fact that David Lynch made a movie produced and distributed by Disney. (laughs) So weird. The straight story. Great movie. Love the movie. It's just a really weird anomaly in his filmography. That's true, actually. Yeah, you're right. But, you know, this movie, man, it, it, it floored me. I mean, it floored me. It was another one similar to the diatribe that I was giving you on Pulp Fiction earlier, where it really just affected me. Uh, from the perception of like a movie goer and a movie lover. You know, the story between Betty and Rita, the love story that's intertwined Mm -hmm. there, to me, is one of the most beautiful love stories in the last 30 years in American cinema. Uh, Just so like quiet and tender. So weird for a David Lynch movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's just so beautiful, man. And, you know, in in classic David Lynch fashion, of course, you're going to have your mind fucks and you're going to have your plot twists and you're going to have, you know, some some questions unanswered. Uh, But I love that. I love ambiguity in especially independent film. Uh, You know, I've seen interviews with him where they'll ask him about Mulholland Drive straight up, you know, and they'll ask him about the end of it. And he'll be like, I don't know. You tell me. Like that's like straight yeah, up. You what don't his have to explain was. your movie to me, David Lynch. He makes movies that feel like <laughs> dreams, uh, right? And and that's good enough for me as an experience. Right. And then you can you know transpose your own experiences and ideas onto the movie, and and everybody will come up with a different takeaway about what it means. And that's what's exciting about David Lynch movies, right? And why I think Mulholland Drive is the perfect movie for this list that you know you decided on for LA movies, Jay, is because this movie really does. Uh, harness i feel like the energy of like old school hollywood while still being modern you know this is a, yep. a modern day uh tale but it really has hints of like old hollywood throughout it which i really really enjoy too i mean there's a lot of shots that lynch will do of the hollywood hills you know and the lights at night and stuff like that and there's this one scene of you know um Betty walking down, or I'm sorry, Rita walking down the street with the palm trees and the kind of like moonlight behind it. Mm -hmm. And you could just be watching it on mute and you could have no connection to, you know, the dialogue or anything. And you would just know that that's L.A. because the way that that he shoots it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he really, I feel like, had to make an effort to really do that, like almost like a postcard almost. Like there's different stills from this movie I feel like you could take and they could be L.A. postcards and you could send to people, you know. For Um, sure. And I feel like that's why it's, it's a perfect movie for this list too because it just really does pay such great homage to Los Angeles and to Hollywood. So, you know, David Lynch is an acquired taste. You know, a lot of people will be turned off when I say that name, but I feel like Mulholland Drive is a little bit different, even though it's still Lynch. And I feel like you should watch it, guys. Anybody listening has not seen Mulholland Drive. It is in my top 10 favorite films of all time for a reason. Yeah, same. Uh, I love it. I love it. So it's my number one. It was your runner up. So there you go, Jay. How you feel, man? We did pretty good there. Those are some good lists, man. Good L.A. movies. I mean, unsurprisingly, this is where they made all the movies until Marvel <laughs> started making them in Atlanta. So another connection between uh, yeah, L.A. and Atlanta there. But You're finding it, yeah. But these are... Um, God, what a what a fantastic list of movies here. These are all in my top 15 favorite movies of all time, the names that I have uh, the films that I've listed off here and and the remaining ones here are probably in my like top 30 of all time. This is so good and and yours were all 
great as well, Gerald. That's great, man. Just wrap up your top five again real quick. Remind everybody what you had over there. My number five was L.A. Confidential. My number four was Who Framed Roger Rabbit. My number three was Shortcuts. My number two was Mulholland Drive. And my number one was Heat. There you go, man. Shortcuts is a little bit of a deep cut. I think I'm going to have to look that one up, man. Yeah, please do. It's so good. Let me know what you think. I like that. I like that. I'll have to check it out. My number five was Her. My number four was Memento. Number three was Nightcrawler. My number two was Pulp Fiction. And my number one was Mulholland Drive. Uh, Jay, I've got five honorable mentions here that I want to make sure I shout out. Yeah. Uh, How about you, buddy? You got any honorables over there? I got five honorable mentions as well. I'll run through them uh, pretty quickly here. My, uh, I guess my my first out was uh, Chinatown. Can't believe it didn't make it. Mm-hmm. Roman Polanski's Chinatown starring Jack Nicholson. Such a provocative movie. So enjoyable with one of the greatest final lines in cinema history. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Another um, long one, though. It's like three hours. That one is long as well. Yes, for sure. Uh, yeah. My, I'm sorry. Uh, my, my next one here is another Robert Altman movie called The Long Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Um probably my second or third favorite Robert Altman film. Um, it's it's a really noir-influenced movie. Think about kind of the Humphrey Bogart movies of the 50s and 60s and 40s, really. Um, it, it's kind of an homage to movies like that, but it's kind of a much more cynical play on that. It's kind of this... Uh, it takes place, or it was made in the seventies and it's kind of like a hippie version of one of those kind of movies. Um, mm-hmm. again, Paul Thomas Anderson ripped off the long goodbye when he made inherent vice that, that there's a, there's a direct correlation between Paul Thomas Anderson movies and, uh, the Robert Altman movies. It really okay. is, um, shocking when you go back and watch all of those Robert Altman movies in a row. Um, right. but the long goodbye is amazing. Uh, my next one here is a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. So, uh, Boogie Nights. Uh, oh, love it. Love an it. amazing movie, obviously about the adult film industry. This was when Paul Thomas Anderson really came to uh, be the filmmaker that we now think of him as. Such a fun, vibrant movie that also gets really, really dark at certain times. Such an incredible cast in that film. Um, one of my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movies for sure. It's my favorite, I think. Uh, yeah, I don't blame anybody who has that as their favorite at all. I love that movie. And my next one is The Big Lebowski. Oh, good one. Which is a movie that definitely captures a bunch of L.A. landmarks and and really has kind of that L.A. vagabond vibe kind of going to it. Another very noir inspired movie as well. You would you could definitely say that The Long Goodbye influenced The Big Lebowski 100 percent. But, you know, that's a movie that inspired an entire religion. So you got to give it some credit for that at the at the very least. Dudism, dudism. Go go look for your closest dudist church or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, sure. And my final honorable mention here is Tim Burton's Ed Wood, a movie that I love. Yeah. No beautiful doubt. black and white cinematography and just a movie the closest comp for ed wood is the muppet movie it's a bunch of these like ragtag crew just trying to put a show on yeah uh and it's such there's no judgment in that movie whatsoever it, it's tim burton's ode to being weird and making movies and i love it for that yeah and martin landau just to uh, Amazing. Real quick. I mean, yeah. just painstakingly immaculate in that film. I mean, he just beat, a beat Samuel L. for supporting actor for Pulp Fiction that year. Is that, he it, did. It's controversial. But I, controversial, but I don't blame him. Uh, Martin Leno's amazing in that. Yeah, no, that was, I mean, yeah. I mean, a life work perhaps, but I mean, that performance yeah. was just like... 
I don't know. He became Bela Lugosi in that movie. I thought it was great. Sam so Jackson I, has spoken about that, and he's like, nobody saw that damn movie. What are you guys talking about? Right. How are you going to give it to that? I was Jules in Pulp Fiction. What are you guys talking about? Right. And then I think everybody was kind of like, he'll get one eventually. It'll be okay. And he hasn't. So <laughs> He hasn't. He'll get an honorary Oscar at some point, I'm sure. Oh, man. Come on, Sam. You got to do it, brother. Uh, okay, to round out my top 10, my number six. By the way, we only had one crossover, which was Heat. But my number six would have been La La Land. And now, yeah. you know, this is a film that was initially in my top five before Pulp Fiction reared his head earlier this evening. And I was like, oh, my God, you're right. But it would have been my number five initially. But I love La La Land because, I mean, again, it's really paying homage to old Hollywood, but it's a modern tale. And also, I love that I like La La Land because I don't like musicals. Mm -hmm. So this movie kind of surprised me. I go into musicals typically very skeptical. I've only enjoyed a handful of them. I'm not a big fan of that genre of film. And this one really, really captured me. It's one of my favorite movies of the last 10 years. I love of Damien Chazelle's style of filmmaking. It's very vibrant, very colorful. I love Gosling. I love Emma Stone. So everything kind of came together in this movie for me, so that's why it worked. Yeah, That'd be my number six. My number seven is Heat, which you already mentioned. My number eight is a movie that I was talking about earlier that I I didn't want to spoil, but it's a movie called Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Oh, yeah. A tangential holiday film with Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer kind of playing this kind of like thief duo that (laughs) are kind of at odds, but they're helping each other kind of solve this mystery in Hollywood. And Robert Downey Jr. is a thief that kind of falls backwards into acting, and he uses that as kind of a cover um, to help Michelle Moynihan, his uh, high school, which, by the way, there was literally nobody hotter in 2005 than Michelle Moynihan in this movie. <laughs> literally the hottest thing I've ever look, seen in my life. Look, I, I understand <laughs> why Robert Downey Jr. would go to so much trouble to try and help her uh, yes, in this movie. Please. She was, uh, yes, yes. <laughs> and then I got a couple fun picks at my 9 and 10. My number 9 is Die Hard, brother. Yeah, Nakatomi absolutely. Plaza. Yeah, yeah. Come on, man. Hans Gruber, the whole thing. So Die Hard, everybody knows about that movie. I don't have to talk about it. And then my number 10 is a comedy. I wanted to put something funny in here, kind of lighthearted, but it's a movie called Friday with yeah, Chris I've Tucker not and Ice seen Cube. Friday. Yeah, what? Yeah, uh, not seen Friday. You got to check out Friday. I man. do. It's I hilarious. Do. It's definitely Chris Tucker's best performance as Smokey. <laughs> check out Friday. So you know what we do, Jay? At the end of the episode, man, we head over to Facebook in the old uh, suggestion box yeah. on the on the Facebook fan page. So let me head over there real quick and see what the fans had to say here. I posed a question to them, Jay. And let's see if they have any that that we didn't mention, which would be cool. But I just said, what is your favorite movie set in Los Angeles? All right. By the way, I want to give a quick shout out and a quick thank you to patron and friend of the show, top level patron, Dan Roski, who pitched this topic to me over on Patreon, Jay. So he's the one that actually came Dan, up with this good topic. Dan, good job. Good job. Yeah, he's a good dude, man. So Dan Roski's five. L.A. Confidential, Day of the Locust. I don't know that one, do you? I, I don't know that one, at, like, at all. That That is not mm-hmm. ringing any bells. Let me look that up, Dan. And he also says Sunset Boulevard. Yep. Talking about musicals. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. Uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. That's a good one. Yep. And then he says Colors. And he put, he put yeah, yeah, I know, with a middle finger in parentheses. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Colors is the one with Sean Penn, right? And uh, they're cops in L.A., I think, right? Or no? That's one that's ringing a bell, but I can't exactly. Oh, yeah. uh, Dennis Hopper directed. Yeah, Sean Penn. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I haven't seen it in a long time, but yeah. Um, Nick Spransky said, there's no question. It's not even close. It's L.A. Confidential. There you go. Uh, Jared Taylor says, Blade Runner, Terminator, Die Hard, Strange Days, and The Nice Guys. 
Hey, Shane Black, did you like the Nice Guys? I love the Nice Guys. I have a Nice Guys poster in my basement, actually. So, yeah. uh, love oh, that movie. Nice. And Strange Days is a movie I really, really need to see. That one's really hard to find in America. The distribution rights for that thing are a disaster. Oh, really? Wow. Uh, Mario, patron and friend of the show, says La La Land. He shared a nice little gif of them dancing in the street there. Justin Winters, hey, the guy that hey, helmed, he's helmed back. your defeat. He helmed your defeat of me in the 80s tournament. And he's making so, podcasts again. I know. I heard him and Chrissy talking the other day. I was like, what? What are you guys doing in my ear ears here? But yeah, I'm uh, happy to hear that guy back on the mic there. I know they've had a rough time out there in Cali. Yeah. He says speed. And here's one that we didn't mention. Swingers. How did we not mention swingers? Oh, that movie's so money and it doesn't even know it, baby. I know. I fucking love that movie. He also says Friday, Die Hard, and The Karate Kid, another one we didn't mention. Yeah. Uh, Dan Brennick, patron and friend of the show, says Nightcrawler. There you go. He also says La La Land and Under the Silver Lake. Now, this is contention oh. for me and Dan because I don't like Under the Silver Lake. I love Lake. that movie. That's another <laughs> That's another long goodbye. Um, Shit. A descendant right. of the long goodbye. So definitely right. one I'm really into. All right. So you're a fan of that one. Okay. So we'll move past that then. Uh <laughs> Jeff says falling down in heat. Chris Haney agrees with him on heat. Uh, let's see. Hannah from Boozy Movies is going to be a guest on the show in the coming weeks. Awesome. She says singing in the rain, Nightcrawler, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We didn't mention that Tarantino flick. But that's yeah, yeah. No, not even on anybody's list. But singing in the rain is a great pick. What just like a, a joyous movie. Have you seen that one? That's a musical that just oh, everybody yeah. loves. Gene it. Kelly. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah fantastic. Classic, dude. So uh, the aforementioned Chrissy from Movie Geek says all of them. <laughs> they, all of them. Sure. Yeah. Every single so, one of them is good, I guess. So just every movie that takes place in L.A. Uh, Joey Austin, a new friend of the page, says straight out of Compton. That was the NWA biopic. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. That was, that was pretty good. I like that one. And then let's see what we're going to wrap up on here. So I, I think... I think he's kidding with me, but Brad, who's a patron of the show, says the Crow City of Angels. That's got to be a troll job, right? Uh, if he had said the Crow, maybe I would have believed him. But the, the Crow City of Angels <laughs> it can't uh, be as big post Brandon Lee death. Uh, I, I don't know about that one. That can't be his pick. All right. And then the last couple, Josh Ragland says Bowfinger. That's a good one. Training Day is also a good one. What do you think about that? Training Day. Yeah. Great one. Yeah. Pulp Fiction, Swingers, and Clueless. Clueless. Ooh, Clueless is a good call. That movie is so good. That's a good one. And then the last uh, mention is from Marshall, my boy Marshall. He says Boys in the Hood, LA Confidential, Menace to Society, Training Day, and Heat. Menace to Society is a gut punch of a movie. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. Um, That made my black films that I did with Colby Mack last year. That's a good film. All right. So thank you guys so much for the shout outs and the old suggestion box. I appreciate it as always. And Jay Ledbetter, 80s champ, extra film guy over there with your pinky out, sipping your tea, doing movie reviews. Uh, But I'm a big fan of yours, man. It's always a thrill when you come back on the piece. Why don't you tell everyone out there where they can find you and Ryan and look you guys up? Yeah, dude, I need to come on more. I mean, this is—I I always have such a good time uh, on your show, and yeah, on, Thanks, man. on my Pinky Up podcast, as <laughs> as Gerald would say, uh, yeah, just just look us up on In Session Film wherever you get your podcast. I host the Extra Film Show, where we've kind of transitioned to doing director movie series. We we cover two films every week, and we've started doing one film will be a part of our director series, where we cover various films from you know we'll spend a few months on one single director, like we did a 
Robert Altman series. We did a um, uh, right now we're doing a Wachowski series. Uh, just change it up a little bit. Um, and so we just covered like all the Matrix movies for three weeks in a row. So uh, and then in the second half of the show we cover a more independent, smaller movie or maybe a foreign film or something like that. So a lot of variety on our show, and you can check us out at In Session Film on wherever you get your podcast or at InSessionFilm.com, which has a bunch of written reviews, and you can find all the podcasts on there as well. Great, man. Well, I'm a big fan of In Session. I'm a big fan of yours. Thanks, man. Um, thanks so much for being here, brother. It was it was a blast to talk to you about these movies tonight. Always. Always. I'll come back anytime. I won't ghost you anymore, Gerald. Please, just respond to my messages, Jay. 24 hours, okay? That's it. 100%. Never again. <laughs> All right, guys, we will be back next week with another top five and another P on the pod. Take care, guys. Let's stay together, loving you weather, weather, times are good, bad, happy or sad.